This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week, start of this last week of March. Hope it was a good weekend for you, although we know many are dealing with the the terrible flooding conditions uh, in several states in the Midwest. We'll be talking more about that on our program today. Also coming up today, the latest on the weather forecast. Are we going to get any improvements uh, in those conditions uh, for those folks with the flooding going on? What about other parts of the country thinking about planting, uh, getting close in some places in the south, getting underway? We'll talk weather with Bryce Anderson. We'll talk markets, the impact of all this flooding on the markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And as we get ready for snow melt in the north, sending more water down uh, the rivers, we'll talk with Minnesota Farm Bureau President Kevin Papp about conditions in the state of Minnesota. All that coming up on today's program, but happy to kick things off today with Sarah Wyatt, Editor, President of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mike. Good morning. So much going on, but obviously the number one story uh, the uh, for agriculture is the flooding in the Midwest and just uh, the the devastation and what we're seeing uh, just you know just uh, breaks your heart to see the what folks are dealing with and uh, but we're seeing the encouraging signs as always of people helping people and we see that so much in rural America. Well, absolutely, and certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to all those who have been facing these horrific damages as a result of the floods. And you and I know it hasn't been all that long since many of those were underwater a few years back and recovered, and uh, that just shows the resonance of, of all the good things that happen in rural America. People come together, and they help their neighbors, and they they are, are optimistic about being survivors and all this. But uh, And let's hope that Congress can focus this week on a disaster package that helps not only producers who are, have lost herds, who are underwater, won't be able to plant, but also helps those rural communities that have lost key parts of their infrastructure, the bridges, the roads, the, all the different things that they need in order to survive. Drinking water plants have been damaged as well. So I hope that uh, lawmakers can get, come together this week and pull something that will be helpful in the short term. Yeah, is anything coming out yet of what they're looking at, or are they still putting that together? As far as I know, they're still putting it together. As you know, there was a lot of damage in the southeast from storms there, and that's been almost a, you know several months in the making trying to get that passed. And now hopefully there's enough political will between the damages in the Plains states and that in the southeast that they can put a package together. But it sounds like we might not see that till Tuesday. And I wonder if this spurs uh, the efforts to get an infrastructure package passed. You know, Mike, I've been thinking that as well. Everyone knows that that could probably be one of the most bipartisan issues where Democrats and Republicans could come together. And if you look at the needs for infrastructure, especially in light of the flood damages and the storm damages in the southeast, it would seem to be perfect sense that this is the time. So I hope that folks in the administration can rally the leaders of both parties to try to get that to happen. But as you know, there's a lot of things in between there. Um, we're going to see a vote potentially on the Green New Deal this week. 
Uh, we're going to see some other sort of messaging uh, things go on in the Senate. And uh, so I, I don't see infrastructure there yet, but certainly it's got all the makings of having a bill come together. Well, speaking of messaging, a vote on the Green New Deal is messaging, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it very much is, because uh, I know that Leader McConnell understands that there won't be any way to pass that, and I think the Democrats have figured they're just going to vote present. Uh, but it highlights the, the real problem that we have, trying to get people to come together to advance big things. You know, we have issues like not only infrastructure, but immigration, uh, all these things that we need parties to come together to fix, and, and they just don't seem to be able to do it. And, of course, now we're looking at the next presidential election, and so a lot of the focus is on that as we try to, you know, on day-to-day out in rural America, try to deal with these issues, and there's, there's just a lot of political backfighting going on. Yeah, one of the challenges of our system is when you have so many of the people that should be making decisions on these issues we just talked about running for president, that impacts everything and in many ways keeps things from getting done. Uh, it certainly does, and, and we know that so many members of the Senate are out on the campaign trail right now. You've probably seen them in Illinois, and certainly they've, a lot of them have been in Iowa, my home state, so uh, they're on the trail, and, and that just makes it that much more difficult. We're talking with Sarah Wyatt with AgriPulse Communications. Meanwhile, on the trade front, Sarah, uh, U.S. negotiators headed to China this week. Yes, we've got uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Ambassador Robert Lighthizer headed back over on Thursday. Certainly it was a good sign on Friday when they announced another sale of uh, 300,000 metric tons of corn. Uh, You know, it looks like things are going in the right direction, but... Mike, you remember that we were talking about maybe having a deal by the end of March. That's not going to happen. Uh, The next meetings uh, will hopefully continue the progress that they've made, and then the Chinese uh, leaders are expected to come back over the first week of April. So there's progress, but some interesting signs from Secretary Purdue this week when he sent, sent some messages suggesting that the Chinese positions had hardened uh, he had an interview with the Financial Times, a European publication, talking about there doesn't seem to be as much passion for a deal as he'd seen in the past. So a little worrisome, but we also don't know how much what Purdue said is kind of a signal that, you know, they want to send for the Chinese to hurry up a little bit more. I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to move at their own pace, but... Um, the good news is talks are continuing, and hopefully they can come together with a meeting in Mar-a-Lago with the president, President Xi and President Trump in April. Meanwhile, the administration is starting to get things moving on USMCA. What are you hearing there? Well, we, uh, we're confident that there's a lot of folks figuring out that they have to get behind this bill. And if the package doesn't move, it's just going to be another world of hurt for a lot of people in American agriculture. So you're starting to see the wheels turn and push for an aggressive package. You see the uh, administration trying to kind of rally the troops, so to speak. You see the Chamber of Commerce trying to do the same. So they're they're moving ahead, uh, hopefully sooner than later. But um, it's it's one of those things where U.S. agriculture did get some uh, improvements in what had been a NAFTA deal, 
and if they want to see those continue, then we have to go ahead and have passage of uh, USMCA. The one thing that Lots. we don't know, of course, is what's going to happen on those tariffs. That's right. Still waiting to see there. Lots of messaging going on. Sarah, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Take care. Sarah Wyan, editor and publisher, president of AgriPulse Communications. Well, weather is so much in the news. Uh, Bryce Anderson, DTM meteorologist, will join us next. What kind of weather do we have this week ahead? And look ahead into the month of April as well. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. You want to make the most of your wheat crop's yield potential. BASF has a full portfolio of fungicides to help, starting with Preaxor brand fungicide. It gives you early to mid-season disease control, stress protection, and improved growth efficiency, which you need for higher yields. Now combine that with Nexacor Zemian brand fungicide for early to mid-season applications, and you've got disease control that helps deliver healthier, greener leaves longer. And more green means more photosynthesis more grain mass, and potential yield. Now add in Caramba brand fungicide, and you're getting best-in-class head scab suppression plus control of late-season foliar diseases. That gives you a yield advantage over infected weed acres that are left untreated. The fact is with Preaxor fungicide, Nexacor fungicide, and Caramba fungicide all, all together, together in one portfolio, portfolio you're, you're covered, covered all the way through harvest. harvest. That's a, a winning, winning combination. combination. For more, ask your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, certainly weather continues to be a big, big story for several states in the Midwest. Um, Keeping an eye on the flooding situation, President Trump over the weekend approved Iowa's federal disaster request. Meanwhile, the... uh, Damage assessments continue to come in, and uh, the numbers continue to rocket higher and higher in states like Nebraska and Iowa, and we know a lot of flooding in in Missouri as well. Let's talk about all that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, any relief this week ahead? There's going to be slight easing of conditions, Mike, uh, for a few days uh, in the in the hardest hit, uh, you know, flooding areas. Uh, because uh, we're going to have uh, fairly dry conditions through about uh, Wednesday, but uh, Thursday is going to is going to get wetter, uh, particularly south of Interstate 80. And right now, uh, the rainfall amounts appear to be in the range of uh, from a, an inch and a quarter to an inch and a half uh, from I-80 south, and so that would take in uh, south central, southeastern Nebraska. Uh, the southern half of Iowa, northwestern Missouri, northeastern Kansas. And uh, I think that that's uh, heavy enough rainfall that it will add uh, to flooding because we know that ground is uh, pretty well saturated already, so there's not going to be a whole lot that soaks in. And uh, that's just going to keep the pressure on as we go through this uh, end of March and on into the month of April. What are you seeing as we watch for the uh, the thaw, the melt up in the north? Uh, what are we seeing temperature-wise there as far as the snow melt? Well, they're going to uh, they're going to erode that snowpack uh, fairly uh, consistently over the next several days because uh, we're going to see temperatures that are trending uh, near to above normal for at least a couple days in the northern plains, and uh, we know that there is still a 
pretty heavy snow field uh, to try to chew through. Uh, but, you know, temperatures are going to get into the, um, the mid-30s here on Monday in the northern plains, but then mid-40s uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, and the mid-50s on Wednesday, and around 50 or so on Thursday and Friday. There's not going to be a whole lot of uh, additional precipitation. So from that standpoint, that's favorable. But uh, there's, there's going to be a, an erosion of the snowpack, a melting, and uh, that will continue to uh, you know, put additional uh, snowmelt sourcing into the uh, Missouri River system. There's no doubt about that. And also, of course, the Red, uh, the Red River is going to uh, have that sort of condition as well. Uh, so that, uh, like I say, is just going to add to things. At some point, the water does, or the uh, snow does have to melt. I guess from, uh, from a, a timing standpoint, uh, it's better to have it happen now than for it to stay real cold and then melting later on, which would be even more of a calamity. But uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to deal with this, uh, with this snow melt, and uh, it looks like we're going to be in that particular situation now this week. Bryce, you're based in Omaha. What are you seeing and hearing around you there in Nebraska? Uh, just, uh, just a whole lot of stress and uh, a lot of fear uh, with uh, what's happened. Uh, there are, you know, there are grain bins that uh, had crops in them that have been just uh, completely uh, eroded, uh, exploded, destroyed, and, and so that's, uh, you know, that's a tremendous loss. Uh, there have been uh, homes that have been that that heretofore had never flooded and uh, did now uh, with uh, this uh, you know this uh, big storm that we had with the bottom cyclone effect and everything, and uh, there are you know there are hundreds of head of livestock that have been lost to the flooding uh, with uh, that uh, situation going on uh, right now during spring calving and everything. And along with that, uh, there's the uh, stress of trying to figure out uh, just how to get around. I mean, truthfully, Mike, there was, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but if I didn't, uh, I want to make sure I mention it now. And if I did, I think it bears repeating. So I'm covering myself on all these bases. There was a period of time uh, from, uh, from about uh, Wednesday, March 13th, through the St. Patrick's Day weekend, March 16th and 17th, when uh, the northeastern one-third of the state of Nebraska was practically inaccessible because of the flooding and the uh, damage from uh, the ice jams and, and everything. So that's how extensive it was. And you're looking at damage to a state that, in terms of area, is 15th uh, in size. Uh, it's the 15th largest state. So there's, uh, you know, just a, you know, a, a whole lot of uh, country that uh, was affected by this. And then we know that southwestern Iowa got in on the act and, and so forth as well. Unfortunately, with the uh, tremendous flooding, northwestern Missouri is uh, now experiencing levels of water that uh, heretofore had never happened. So uh, the, the extent of this uh, disaster uh, can truly not be overstated. You know, that is something that it, it's almost hard for people not in those areas to, to understand because we take for granted the ability to, to move, be mobile, to, you know, get in our cars or trucks, whatever, and just drive wherever we want to go. 
roads and bridges, uh, we, don't, we don't think that much about them until you don't have access to them. And it's hard to imagine, especially in the middle part of the country, thinking that the, such a large area of the country where people really were unable to move around, that the transportation uh, routes were all cut off to them. Yes, they were. Uh, and and they still are in some respects. I mean, uh, there are there are people in uh, southeastern Nebraska who um, needed to get to northwestern Missouri, uh, the the northwestern corner of Missouri, and um, and and the choice was uh, hire a private plane and take a ten minute airplane ride. And of course, you pay for the plane ride. We know that. But take an air take a ten minute airplane ride or take a three-hour trip by vehicle because of uh, roads being out and uh, flooded and and that sort of thing. And the thing is that uh, this type of scenario is going to stay with us uh, throughout, I think, well, all spring is almost a given, but well into the summer uh, because uh, there was uh, such destruction of roadbeds and bridges that uh, it's going to take uh, months at the very least to uh, make repairs, and uh, this is also, of course, going to complicate uh, farm machinery travel and transport from one field to another. It's uh, we know, Mike, that it's not uncommon at all anymore for producers to uh, to take care of uh, ground in their operations that that uh, you know has a 50 mile distance from one field to another. That's not out of the question anymore, and uh, being able to to uh, traverse that distance in uh, some of these uh, areas is uh, going to be a real challenge for this year, and that's just going to add to the stress that we see. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Now, Bryce, uh, in the south, uh, we're seeing some reports of some planting getting done. What's the weather like for that part of the country? It's going to be pretty unsettled. Uh, We're getting some showers in the delta today, and then uh, looking ahead to the next uh, week, week and a half, uh, it still is going to be unsettled. And I think, you know, we've, uh, we haven't even, uh, you know, gone into uh, too many uh, forecast details, uh, you know, because of uh, the, you know, the, the type of concern that uh, this uh, tremendous uh, situation in the Western Corn Belt uh, is demanding uh, attention to. But uh, over the next uh, week, week and a half, you get farther south, in the delta and uh, into the southeast, this pattern is going to stay unsettled. And uh, it's going to, uh, I think, cause continued uh, delays and and disruptions in terms of field work. Uh, For example, in uh, north-central Mississippi, uh, this coming weekend into early next week, we're going to see rainfall amounts of close to three-quarters of an inch, maybe locally heavier, and still a few showers uh, during the middle and latter parts of next week. So that's the sort of uh, kind of interruption that we're seeing, and I think that that's going to be a feature throughout the rest of the spring. Yeah, planting season for 2019 is going to be a real challenge. I know I'm here in central Illinois, and we were just starting to get a little activity, a little bit of uh, you know fertilizer work getting done, just starting to dry out enough to get out there, and then we got the rain uh, yesterday and last night, so that, that slowed things back down. So it looks like every most places are off going to be off to a very slow start. Some remains a question whether they'll get started at all. 
I, I think that that is a, a real issue, and, and it's likely, you, you talked about central Illinois, there's going to be another uh, three-quarters of an inch of rain uh, the end of this week as well. And uh, that does lead to, I think, a bona fide acreage question on corn. I've talked about it before. You heard me uh, uh, you know, discuss that in, in some uh, previous discussions that we've had. And I think that that, that, uh, that acreage question on corn is a real one that's going to stay with us the rest of this planting season. All right, Bryce. Thanks for the update. Great to talk to you, Mike. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk about planting and acres and some of those questions with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone next on Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia Growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia Herbicide Weed Control Guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long GrowSmart Rewards Program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for being with us. We often talk about how the markets assume that the crops will get planted. And so they don't, you know, they don't get as nervous, especially as early on as maybe some of the rest of us uh, are, think they should. But with what's gone on these last few days in the Midwest and the severe flooding, uh, is this a game changer? Do the markets uh, start reacting differently maybe to this? Well, that's the expectation. Now, as you said, the markets tend to be very patient and not wanting to believe that there's going to be a problem, and particularly in recent years, they've seen years when they heard about planting delays, and then we'd have an open window, and in 10 days, the whole U.S. corn crop gets planted. I mean, that's kind of their their mantra, so they're not real concerned yet at this point. But the the China purchase of corn on Friday added a little bit more nerves to them. Uh, when you're looking at the floods and, and the wetness and the size of the short positions that the hedge funds, speculative hedge funds have, it does create more nerves. Now, this morning we have kind of a, a bearish attitude across the board on the market, so we're not seeing any real strength in corn right now. But breaks are kind of being bought at this point. No one's hitting the panic button, but we're one day closer to that happening if we continue on the path that we're on. Yeah, I mean, it is still March, but when you look at, you know, such a wide area, parts of Iowa, Nebraska, that, you know, they're looking at such a long-term recovery, it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, anything being done on, a, on an on-time basis, let alone even on a late basis in some cases. 
Yeah, I think we have to keep in mind that the majority of trades put on in the markets anymore are put on by computers without human input. And uh, we've got to get to the point where the fundamentals uh, knock us out of those computer trades, so to speak, and turn the momentum. And uh, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, one thing that would do that or could do that, you would expect, would be as part of the China trade talks, if China were to say, we're going to make a large corn purchase, and they actually do it. Um, like I said, they made the first one on Friday. That was maybe a trial balloon. Maybe it'll be followed up. Maybe it won't. But that type of thing would suddenly increase the need to make sure we get the acres this year. If China doesn't buy any more, the market's going to assume, well, we can lose a few acres. If China starts buying significant quantities, suddenly the market worries about every acre getting planted, and planting delays become a lot bigger factor, let alone those acres that simply are prevented planting. Yeah, I was just thinking that, uh, you know, I'm here in Illinois, and you look at states like this uh, where there will be even more focus on that, that weather forecast and getting the crop in in those areas uh, even more than usual because of what's happening in, the, in those flooded areas. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when you look at the world outside of China, we've been regularly, consistently each year, um, consuming more than we produce and slowly working down the excess that we have. We're getting to the point now that if we have normal yields um, and we don't have any problems, we can get by another year, but the margin for error is getting much smaller. Uh, it's just that the China trade talks create that unknown factor that if China increases their demand, suddenly it would tip it over. Otherwise, it might get tipped over to the bullish side down the road a little bit more. Speaking of tipped over, we see these pictures of grain bins collapsing in these flooded areas. Uh, you know, the loss of grain there, I, I don't know what can be done with a lot of that or, you know, how they'll be able to get anything, if at all, from that or what they even do with it. Uh, I mean, we've got some real challenges and issues there. Exactly right. And uh, basically, flood-damaged grain or flood-contaminated grain is probably the way to say it is not supposed to be consumed or utilized and so that would be lost grain so the question is how much is it and i hear that question quite a bit how much grain have we lost because we know a lot of those storage bins that were inundated with floodwaters um, had corn in them now everything above the water line is salvageable if they can get it dried down but anything the water touched is not um, so uh, most of the people in those areas, though, are, are currently focused on the more serious aspects of just survival right now and trying to take care of their livestock and, and uh, their immediate human needs. And hopefully this week we'll start getting some better numbers out of the region as the water now goes down. We're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. So, Arlen, do the, the, these next batch of numbers going to be coming from USDA? Will they reflect all of these conditions uh, that have happened with the flooding or, or not? Yeah, they will not because uh, at least that's not what we'd expect because uh, the numbers released on Friday are supposed to be as of March 1st, and that was before the flooding all got started and created problems. So... Um, be it planting intentions or um, loss of grain to, due to flooding, <clears throat> would not be expected to be in these numbers. We'd have to wait till the June 30th stocks report for that, and as well as the June 30th acreage report. So that kind of makes uh, this these reports kind of anticlimactic, right? 
Well, it's like any USDA report. We'll find reasons to disagree with them, and that'll be, uh, I'm, I'm sure, on the top of the list for those who want to disagree with the numbers, and, and maybe right, rightfully so as well. Let's take a look at, let's move over to the livestock side. African swine fever. This is a story that's been going on for some time. It seems to be getting uh, uh, to be a bigger story rather than a smaller story. And I think that's going to continue to be the case. Uh, as we talk to our people in China, it, it's just difficult to get our hands around just how significant this is. We're seeing numbers now, and of course China's talking about how they have the disease under control, and we're hearing a much different picture from that, that it's still spreading out of control. And some of the numbers we're hearing is like uh, one province in China, one of the major producing areas of China, Hebei, if I pronounce it correctly, um, which is not far from uh, Beijing. 60 to 70 percent of the major farms have been hit by this disease. And once a disease hits the farm, every animal has to be culled. Um, and every animal within uh, three to four kilometers of that uh, farm must be culled as well. Uh, China's trying to encourage restocking and rebuilding of the breeding herd. But of the 99 breeding pig farms in China, uh, fewer than 20 of them have not been hit by the disease. So it's going to have a hard time rebuilding. Uh, we're, we believe right now, and you take the China as a nation as a whole, that 30% of hog feeding capacity has been lost. That's equivalent to all the hogs produced on an annual basis in Canada, United States, Mexico, and Brazil. It's just difficult to wrap our arms around the implications of the world's most populous nation losing that much food supply right now. Uh, when you look at the amount of, of pork that China consumes each year, um, it's 49% uh, of the world's pork consumption. That it, That's equivalent to 21% of what we produce in the world in the way of pork, beef, and chicken. That's just a major part of the world's food supply. So it seemed they're going to need to buy more pork, which would give it give U.S. pork producers an opportunity if we get the, the trade things straightened out. I would anticipate that that will be a, uh, an object of discussion this week as negotiators uh, ramp up talks again in, in Beijing. I would certainly anticipate that they'd be talking about lifting the restrictions on U.S. poultry and beef. Uh, certainly be uh, interest, interest in pork as well. We know that they have started buying some pork. We see indications that there's a lot more being bought than what has been reported by USDA at this point, so the sales may not be official or final yet, um, but we're anticipating more um, notice to come as well. We think it's going to significantly tighten up the world meat supply. All right, Arlen, let's wrap it up with a little marketing information here. Uh, you know, Producers probably really uh, hesitant to pull the trigger, maybe on, you know, on pricing ahead. But uh, there sounds like there should be some corn opportunities. What, do, what are you thinking? Well, it would certainly appear from these fundamentals when you can look at the large, massive short or sold positions that the hedge funds have on, when you look at uh, China starting to buy corn, when you look at meat production needing to shift out of China to other parts of the world, further tightening the balance sheet. It would certainly seem that there's more upside risk to the corn market than downside. If I was an end user, I'd be concerned about that. If I was a producer, that would be something that would be encouraging to me. The opposite is true in the soy complex. As we look at China cutting back on soy meal for hog production, increasing it for for chicken or poultry production, we see a net reduction of about 22 metric tons 
of soybean demand into China this year. Um, the USDA has not accounted for that, nor has the market yet. Complicated. Uh, trying to get the, the inputs out there for the corn crop, that's that's a challenge. Uh, weather may push to later planting, which would maybe signal more soybeans. This is really complicated here in the spring. It, it really is. And uh, right now it would seem that the fundamentals would be better for corn than for soybeans. Um, but as farmers are making their decisions, the prices have tended to favor sticking with the rotations and not changing the acreage much, and that means more soybean stocks and tighter corn stocks. Wow. It's just a lot to try to figure out and sort through. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it and uh, stay in touch with you, Arlen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTLFC Stone. Well, we've talked a lot about it with all the flooding that's going on now. It's certainly, there's probably more to come as the snow up north, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, as that melts and works its way down, uh, we can expect more. And then we don't know what's going to happen, of course, just with normal spring rains in a lot of areas. So we've got a long ways to go, a lot of challenges ahead for this spring planting season. We'll get an idea of what it's like up in Minnesota. The president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, Kevin Papp, will join us next for an update from his state. Stay with us. This is AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we've talked a lot about the flooding, but also about the uh, potential flooding yet to come. Uh, the possibility with all that snow melt up north. Let's uh, take a look at the state of Minnesota. Joining us now is the president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, Kevin Papp. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Give us an idea of conditions in your state of Minnesota. Well, you know, we've got some localized flooding, water in the basements, and a little bit of infrastructure, water over roads and things like that. But really, it's nothing compared to our friends in Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri. Our heart really goes out to them. Uh, they're dealing with much worse than what we've got. So we're, here we are last week of March. Uh, do you feel further behind as you get look ahead to spring planning time uh, for your state of Minnesota, or do you feel... This is kind of, you know, you've been here before and uh, not that far behind. How would you assess it? Well, we've been there before. We've certainly uh, set record snowfall uh, this year, so we've got a lot more snow to melt. But the weather's been, quite frankly, very nice the last few days. It's been an orderly melt. Uh, things are looking good. Southern Minnesota, the Red River Valley, of course, as that water uh, travels north, has some specific concerns as it, it's cold as it goes north but uh, you know we're not going to be an early spring but uh, we haven't given up hope yet 
looking back to last fall, uh, we know a lot of a lot of parts of the Midwest uh, farmers did not get much uh, fall field work done, so they were already kind of behind going into this spring. Now the the challenges we have weather wise with all the water. What about the state of Minnesota? Well, there was some uh, delays in fall field work. There's some that did not get done. That's a good and maybe a a bad thing that fertilizer's not down. It gives them a little more flexibility as to what the spring is like. But uh, we're going to continue to look at it as a positive attitude and and hopefully get planting corn sooner versus later. We're talking with Kevin Papp, president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau. You're actually in Washington, D.C., just uh, just arrived there, uh, more meetings in our nation's capital. Well, I am, and I haven't been in D.C. for probably 15 minutes yet, but uh worked out just right. We've got a group of 14 Minnesota Farm Bureau members out here. We're spending some time with the House and Senate Ag Committees today and meeting with the elected officials tomorrow and then at USDA on Wednesday. So I know you have a list of your uh, hot items that you want to address uh, with your lawmakers, what's at the top of that list? Well, the top of the list is uh, serious financial and emotional challenges going on, whether it's low prices, the need for trade, the need to get the Farm Bill implemented as soon as possible, need to work on regulatory reform, um, and just transportation infrastructure. We've got to have some dollars to maintain our transportation system. Yeah, and when we talk about infrastructure and those issues, you said farm bill implementation, uh, trade. Uh, what what are your members saying about uh, the trade talks with China and some and USMCA these issues? Well, trade is critically important to our economic success, and that's really our safety net. And the number one thing we'll be talking with in every Minnesota office this week is the importance to get started on NAFTA. Let's start those conversations and make sure we can get everybody um, excited and up to speed on NAFTA. That's probably our biggest thing, the USMCA, that's going to help us immediately. I'll continue to talk about other trade opportunities. China, we're going to continue to work on that, but it's a a little longer process. But look at trade with Japan, trade with Cuba, and, and just making sure that agriculture is included in the EU trade talks. The dairy industry has been especially hard hit. What are you hearing from dairy producers in your state? Well, we're hearing a lot. And really, as we talk about weather, it's not so much localized flooding. We had a lot of snow on roofs and it had some rain, so we saw a lot of barn collapses, not only dairy barns, but other livestock uh, barns, uh, machine sheds, things like that. It's, it's really been some struggles in, in Minnesota, not only dairy, but really everybody needs to uh, needs to see some prices get higher. A lot more options uh, through the Farm Bill for dairy producers, but uh, uh, I think there's still a lot, many of them looking through those and seeing what works best for them. So it's an educational uh, curve here to go through as well. It is, and it always seems like we want to get that information sooner than later. We're looking forward to meeting at USDA and talking about that implementation, the timelines, and, again, just delivering that message firsthand how important it is we get this farm bill implemented as soon as possible. Kevin, there's certainly a physical toll being taken on agriculture, especially with the the conditions right now we've been talking about, but that also leads to the the mental toll as well as the stress put on uh, uh, farmers and farm families. There is. There's a lot, and we just make sure that we – 
keep an eye on each other, keep an eye on our neighbors. That's what farmers and ranchers do, and, and make sure we've got those resources uh, as we deal with some of those challenges. But uh, it just seems like spring is so helpful. Once the weather changes, it's uh, much easier to see some of the good things going on versus that terrible winter that seemed to never really want to end. Well, a disaster aid package of some sort was already being worked on for the southeast uh, from the hurricanes, but now it looks like the Midwest flooding, uh, that will be included in it. Uh, so you'll be able to perhaps get a uh, first-hand look at uh, what they're w- working on this week there in Washington. We will. We want to make sure that, uh, again, they hear directly firsthand from our members about the importance of, uh, of looking at all those issues. And it's not just the Midwest. We got to remember there was a lot of the U.S. has been hurting over the last year due to weather out of our control. Minnesota is a big renewable fuel state. Will you have a chance to talk at all about the E15 summer sales and uh, the RFS and issues like that? Absolutely. You know we're going to visit with with all of our members, talking about the importance to add value. Year-round E15 is so important. Uh, we're going to talk about our concerns with the small refinery hardship waivers, but but also how uh, that affects biodiesel. It's not, right. you know, we're a big biodiesel state in Minnesota as well, and uh, that's really being hurt uh, almost worse than the ethanol. Well, have a good trip there in Washington, D.C. Get them straightened out, okay, Kevin? We'll do our best to uh, keep up the great work of uh, getting the word out about agriculture. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on AOA.